Good evening and welcome to this month's edition of Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Outbeat News In-Depth is our brand new news magazine style show that takes a closer look at some of the people, events, and information making LGBT headlines here in the North Bay and beyond. Our special guests tonight include Matthew Breen, who's the editor-in-chief of The Advocate magazine. He's here to share with us how the oldest print magazine covering the gay community is keeping up with what feels like an explosion of gay news. And then we'll take a look at online dating and hear about one of the first gay dating sites, Gay.com, and all about their new makeover from Brett Edward Stout, Gay.com's brand and marketing manager. On tonight's Outbeat Youth segment, you'll hear about Jacob Rudolph, a high school student who came out to his entire class during an awards ceremony. He'll talk about why he came out in such a public way. All of this is coming up right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, February 24th, 2013. In just about one month from today, the United States Supreme Court will hear both California's Prop 8 case and two cases related to the Federal Defense of Marriage Act. Just two days ago, the United States Department of Justice filed a brief with the Supreme Court, urging the court to declare DOMA unconstitutional. In their briefing, they said, quote, The law denies to tens of thousands of same-sex couples who are legally married under state law an array of important federal benefits that are available to legally married opposite-sex couples. Because this discrimination cannot be justified as substantially furthering any important government interest, Section 3 is unconstitutional. Meanwhile, the plaintiffs in California's Prop 8 case also filed their briefs. Here's Matt Baum with the details. At the American Foundation for Equal Rights, I'm Matt Baum, and welcome to a special episode of Marriage News Watch. The brief states, quote, The only substantive question in this case is whether the state is entitled to exclude gay men and lesbians from the institution of marriage and deprive their relationships, their love, of the respect, dignity, and social acceptance that heterosexual marriages enjoy. Proponents have not once set forth any justification for discriminating against gay men and lesbians by depriving them of this fundamental civil right. The plaintiffs go on to list other past institutions that discriminated on the basis of gender or race. They write, The 14th Amendment could not tolerate these discriminatory practices, and it similarly does not tolerate the permanent exclusion of gay men and lesbians from the most important relation in life. The brief also runs through the history of the case from California's 2000 ban on marriage to the 2008 California Supreme Court ruling that overturned the ban, and then to the rebanning of marriage a few months later by Prop 8. It goes on to describe the district court's ruling in August of 2010, along with its key findings. Among those findings are that marriage has evolved from an institution defined by traditional and unbalanced gender roles. Instead, it's defined by commitment, partnership, cohesive family unit, and the liberty of spouses. The court also found numerous benefits available only through marriage. Psychological health, legal protection, and longer life. These are also benefits that flow to the couple's children. In short, the district court found multiple ways in which Proposition 8 is unconstitutional. First, it violates the Due Process Clause because it unconstitutionally burdens the exercise of the fundamental right to marry. And second, it violates the Equal Protection Clause because it creates an irrational classification on the basis of sexual orientation. And it does these things without serving any government interest. From there, the case went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The court found that the proponents couldn't explain how rescinding marriage supported any legitimate government interest. It, too, ruled that Prop 8 is unconstitutional. And now the case is before the U.S. Supreme Court. On page 13 of today's brief, the plaintiffs lay out their argument. First, they argue that the proponents shouldn't even be able to bring this case before the U.S. Supreme Court. They've never claimed to be injured by the overturning of Prop 8. This is the standing requirement, which they've failed to meet. Second, plaintiffs argue that Prop 8 violates the Due Process Clause because it denies gay men and lesbians the right to marry without furthering any legitimate government interest. This is a compelling argument because the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled 14 times that the right to marry is protected by the Due Process Clause and is a fundamental freedom for all Americans. Third, they argue that Prop 8 violates the Equal Protection Clause because its only purpose is to create an unequal status for gay and lesbian couples. The brief concludes that Prop 8 cannot be squared with the principle of equality and the unalienable right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness that is the bedrock promise of America from the Declaration of Independence to the 14th Amendment and the dream of all Americans. And here locally, Guerneville will once again be the setting for Sonoma County's annual LGBTQI Pride Parade and Celebration scheduled for Sunday, June 2nd, 2013. 
The Russian River Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, Sonoma County Pride Planning Committee, is organizing this event and will follow the theme From Queer to Eternity. There will be an abundant lineup of great entertainment and family-oriented games and activities. Pride 2013 will see the continuation of Lilith's Lounge, the Radical Fairy Freedom Village, and the Pride in Wine Country Terrace. Sister Lady Grace Pumpernickel will be hosting the exciting new attraction for this year's Pride event called Bear Pavilion. The Pride Parade will begin at 11 a.m. with a march down Main Street, with the celebration continuing at the Guerneville Lodge. Sister Scarlett Billows, chair of Sonoma County Pride 2013, said, We're excited about the new members who've joined us this year. We're seeing lots of talent and energy coming from new community members, and we would love to see more of the community get involved in both the planning process and volunteer opportunities on the day of the celebration. Pride Festival attendees will be able to enjoy unique foods and beverages from celebrated chefs and vintners using our region's fabulous bounty of foods and wines. Nonprofits and businesses wishing to participate in this year's event should register now at sonomacountypride.org. And those wishing to assist with the production of this year's event shouldn't miss out their opportunity as well. The Pride Planning Committee is actively seeking businesses, sponsorships, parade entries, and vendors for arts and crafts areas, as well as advertisers in the official program. You can learn more about how to get involved on the Pride website. Once again, www.sonomacountypride.org. And stay tuned to Outbeat Radio for more details about all of the fundraising events that will be coming up to support Sonoma County Pride 2013. Now here's your calendar events for the coming week. On Monday, February 25th and every Monday at 5.30 p.m., the Petaluma Health Center will host an LGBT support group meeting at 1179 North McDowell Boulevard. And also on Monday at 7 p.m., the Parents of Transgender Youth Support Group will meet at Positive Images, 312 Chin Street in Santa Rosa. And on Tuesday, February 26th, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., the trans group will meet also at Positive Images in Santa Rosa. And on Thursday, February 28th, from 7 to 9 p.m., the Men for Men support group will gather at the Marin AIDS Project, 910 Irwin Street in San Rafael. And on Saturday, March 2nd, at 7 p.m., Midnight Her She Bar and Girl A Ladies Dance Party will happen at Space 25, 25 Old Courthouse Square in Santa Rosa. You can learn more at www.northbay-lscene.com. If you have news or an event you'd like to share with our listeners, be sure to tell us about it by going to our own website at outbeatnews.com. And follow us all week long for the latest LGBT news and information from here in the North Bay and beyond. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. In January 1953, One Magazine became the first gay print magazine to be sold openly on the streets of Los Angeles. In 1954, the United States Post Office declared the magazine to be obscene. One sued. And finally won in 1958 as part of a landmark First Amendment case known as Roth versus the United States. The Advocate magazine was sued to follow, and it continues today as the longest-running print magazine covering the LGBT community. And here tonight to share with us how The Advocate is keeping up with the rapid pace of LGBT news is Editor-in-Chief Matthew Breen. Welcome to Outbeat News In-Depth. My pleasure. So before we get into talking about the magazine, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got involved with The Advocate. Sure. I um, I, I was always a writer. I I was the editor of the high school newspaper, and uh, a few of my colleagues, I just went to a reunion, a few of my colleagues said, we knew way back when (laughs) that uh, you'd be doing this. I um, grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, my family were transplants to the area. And then um, after university, I, I worked at the Sundance Film Festival in the press office, uh, managing the press office for a couple of years in the Utah Film Commission. And then um, moved to L.A. to get a job in film publicity. So my, my start was in, it was in film. And I, uh, I began writing freelance film criticism uh, because I wasn't a very good publicist. And... Uh, from that, got a job uh, working for Out Magazine as an associate editor. First, a freelance film critic, and then an associate editor. And I, I was the music and books guy, and the film guy, and then I was like the uh, exercise, health, and fitness, food, and grooming, and liquor, and you know all kinds. <laughs> <laughs> I was the go-to guy for a lot of different things. And eventually, uh, I moved to New York. I became the executive editor for Out Magazine, 
And then when John Barrett became the editor of The Advocate magazine about four years ago, he invited me to join the staff as the executive editor for The Advocate to take it from a bi-weekly uh, publication to a monthly magazine. And I've been working on a monthly magazine for about six years at that point at Out. So took the chance to come back to L.A., and I've been working um, on The Advocate ever since. We changed to a bi-monthly format recently, but we're back on the newsstand again now. So yeah, I've been doing. I've been uh, editor in chief for about two and a half years, and it is. It's you know, it's a, it's a it's a job that's endlessly fascinating. There's no shortage of news. Well, yeah, especially these days. I mean, our civil rights movement just seems to be moving at this incredible pace. Although some people are probably a little bit frustrated by it, uh, there's something happening every single day. That's you feel a real momentum happening. Um, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I was just thinking about, and I was in um, D.C. For, the, for President Obama's second term inauguration, and, you know, to have uh, gays and lesbians mentioned in the inaugural, addre- inaugural address, which is just one of those things that's, like, written down, it's, it's essentially carved in stone as soon as it's, get, it's, it's delivered for future generations to read and study. It was just a remarkable moment, and we're seeing this acceleration in, our, in the momentum in our cause in all different quarters. It's a really exciting time to be reporting on LGBT news and equality, and uh, it's a really fascinating time uh, to be alive. Yeah, no kidding. And The Advocate has really been there through the entire journey for those listeners who are not familiar with the magazine, tell us a little bit about the history and how the magazine came to be and how it evolved. Sure. The magazine started in Los Angeles in 1967, and it grew out of demonstrations at, the, uh, at a bar in Silver Lake called the Black Cat um, on New Year's Eve, excuse me, New Year's Day, or I guess early in the morning, right after midnight. In 1967, the police raided this gay bar in the Silver Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles. And a bunch of people were beat up, and a bunch of people were arrested, and, you know, uh, I think someone's spleen was ruptured and ribs were broken. And it was just, you know, one of these raids that happened all too often in L.A., but in also, also in places across the country. Based on that, there was a series of protests, and out of that came this newsletter um, called the Los Angeles Advocate, which started out as a newsletter to inform gay men of police raids, how to protect themselves, in the event there was a raid, um, their legal rights, etc. And pretty soon the Los Angeles part came out of the title and it developed into uh, you know, a wider scope um, uh, featuring interviews with politicians and arts and entertainment. And then it became a broadsheet magazine and went na- uh, national. Then it became a glossy. Um, you know. So over the years, and, and in fact we were the only gay publication around to report on, uh, on Stonewall in 1969. Right. Um, at the time that that event happened. So um, it's been around for 45 years. We celebrated 45 years at the end of 2012, and we are the longest-running LGBT um, brand around. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was great to see that, that that anniversary take place. Yeah, yeah, that must have been great to be part of that celebration. Let's go back a bit, though, and talk about this explosion of news that is occurring in our community there's the internet, there are so many sources of news, plus just the number of events that are taking place to be covered. How does The Advocate keep up with all of this? Well, it, you know, it is, t- it is tough to keep up track of all of it, especially in a, in a magazine format. So one of the ways that we've really grown and developed in terms of the way people read their news is by moving a lot of our energies online. So we have a really robust website that takes a look at uh, news, politics, commentary, culture, arts, and entertainment, you name it. And um, we post in, in a daily newsroom style on that website every day. And, and the traffic has just grown by leaps and bounds. I think a lot of people who may not have ever thought of subscribing to an LGBT magazine, a print magazine in the past, find that they you know, just need to know about this stuff but want to find it in an online format. We're on uh, uh, mobile devices now. There's, a, there's a, um, uh, an HTML5 app for advocate news, and so you can read it on whatever size mobile device you're looking at. Um, We've really tried to keep pace with the way people consume their news, um, but we also keep a print publication alive because, you know, our readers really enjoy it. There's something really nice about the the tangible quality of a publication, and some of our readers have been with us since, you know, virtually the very beginning, and that puts them in an age bracket where they're maybe less 
familiar with mobile devices or less online, and they really like the print extension of the brand. So, so that print is still important to us, but um, we're, we're finding that um, I, our greatest area of growth would be mobile devices and uh, our website. So now with the online site and the mobile app, how is the magazine's content different? Yeah, I think it's all of a. I think it's all a consistent in terms of brand expressions. Um, it, we can't do daily news reporting in print any longer because of lead times, and it takes a while to print a, a glossy magazine. So we look to the print as uh, the place to find uh, in-depth uh, investigative reporting, um, longer political analysis, um, some of our celebrity interviews. Some you know celebrities still appreciate being in print, um, so that's something that uh, they like to see. We're happy to do that, and then you know. When we have great photography, uh, print is just uh, is still an unparalleled uh, venue for uh, for photography. So, um, yes, it is different in terms of, of the the way we package the content, um, but I think you'll find all the same interests expressed. Of course, the breaking news goes online. Tell us more about the mobile app in terms of what people can get on their phones now. Well, the mobile app is essentially the website that adjusts its size to whatever to whatever device you're using. So it's it's uh, it's meant so that you know if you're on an iPad, it, it, it fits the content fits perfectly the iPad. Um, or if you're on uh, a smartphone, it'll it'll adjust the size of the stories to fit within the window on that smartphone. If you're looking at a, a regular website on a smartphone, sometimes you have to, you're, you're you know pinching and expanding the text so that you can read it. Right. This, this does it for you. So it's um it's it's uh it's it's all the same news you can find on the website in in a format that's readable on a mobile device. And it's broken down into categories, too. If you're interested writing, you know, going right to entertainment, you can, you can click and it'll bring stories forward just in that area, right? Absolutely. You can go to the politics tab. You can go to the, to the entertainment tab. You can go to the comedy tab. Um, you know, we collect a bunch of great tweets from around, um, uh, from all over the place. Uh, Jamie Smith is a great comedian who, um, who curates that for us in this comedy tab. Um, there's uh, a video and a women's specific section, uh, and op-ed, of course. We do a lot of op-ed on the website, and uh, that goes to the app as well. So we invite people from all different backgrounds and all different perspectives and all different parts of the community to, uh, to tell their stories, essentially, talk about what's important to them. And I've found that that's a real new uh, and great form that we can provide for our readers, too. We'll shift gears a little bit. Um, you've been at the magazine obviously a long time, and, and you've experienced personally, as you mentioned, the inauguration, some pretty incredible events. What are some of the stories for you that are that are that you're most excited about that the Advocate has covered? I was just at the inauguration. That was a really transformative, really eye-opening experience, and I enjoyed writing about that. Um, in the magazine, each year we we write about um, issues specific to, to to people who are transgender, which is something that. The magazine has, and the brand have really looked at more closely in the past few years. Health and HIV is always an ongoing story. Um, that uh, there are fantastic uh, medical u- updates every year that we look at. Something that we look at every year also is a best companies uh, issue. That's in October every year. We look at different factors that contribute uh, contribute to how well a company works with LGBT employees, how it, how it mm-hmm. recruits, for, rec- recruits them and, and trains workers for sensitivity. And, um, you know, there are often innovative ways that a company can make up for the gaps in our federal, um, the federal rights we don't have if we're partnered, for example. We don't have the same tax benefits that uh, straight married couples do. Um, there are companies that, that compensate for that. Or um, We just put out our Gayest Cities in America Story and that uh, we've done that four years in a in a row, mm-hmm. and we take different factors that we think constitute um, a gay-friendly city, and some of them are more serious, like whether a state state has um, marriage equality laws and tra- uh, whether a city has transgender protections. But then we look at some sort of sidelong, tongue-in-cheek criteria like roller derby teams and gay rugby leagues and good shopping and you know whether. Uh, City has hosted a concert by the cast of Glee in the past year, a couple of years, and uh, we use that sort of off-the-wall criteria to determine a, a gay friendliness uh, quotient per capita quotient for each city. 
and uh, Tacoma topped the list this year, Tacoma, Washington, which was a real head-scratcher for a lot of people. It really was. <laughs> I have to say, when I saw that art, that story and I looked at that list, I, I looked at my partner and I said, really, Tacoma? <laughs> well, we know that uh, L.A. and New York and San Francisco are gay-friendly places, so that's not really a, a story we need to tell. But we do enjoy making up this list because the criteria changes every year. Salt Lake City was the top of the list last year, and Atlanta has been the top of the list before, maybe, maybe a slightly more... Um, uh, um, suspected to be a gay-friendly place than some of these others. But an amazing thing happens in these cities when we release the list. Conversations start right away about whether the city is, in fact, gay-friendly. Huh. And there's this really fascinating dialogue that happens. We know that it's not the typical gay-friendliest cities, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we, we invite our readers to read it with, with the notion that it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. But then to, to have that conversation, we see TV crews going down to, you know, the gay-friendly churches in um, uh, Salem, Oregon, to talk about, you know, how LGBT-friendly um, these church congregations are. And you get to learn a lot of different factors about a city that don't constitute, you know, nightlife and fabulous brunches, which is, you know, some of the things that we more typically think about make, making for a gay-friendly place. Right. You know, small towns that are that are good for raising your, your kids, or places with, you know, great amenities that, that are maybe overlooked in the past. We find that some of these cities use this list in their, in their marketing uh, to, uh, to tourists as well, and so that's kind of fun to see it. So, so that was going to be my next question. I mean, what, what type of response have you gotten from you? Have you had some cities, you know, sort of brag about being listed as one of the most gay-friendly cities? Yeah, in fact, the... Um, the Salt Lake City Mayor's Office tweeted out that they were sad to have lost their number one spot. You know, they, they have a lot of fun with it. Uh, the Tacoma, the Tacoma, I think it was a tourism board, um, did a nice long segment on an evening news broadcast there talking about how gay-friendly the city is, clearly inviting LGBT tourists to come visit Tacoma and, and experience it for themselves. Knoxville, Tennessee had the same thing happen, Grand Rapids, Michigan. These have all made the top, I think, five or so in the last few years. Right. In, a, in a way that some places were really sort of horrified by, would have been horrified by the designation of being a gay-friendly place in the past. A lot of cities are really embracing it now. Yeah. Well, another sign that things are changing, mm -hmm. but also a real strong statement about the power of the press and the power uh, that the advocate has. You know, as you look back, how else have you seen or do you believe that the advocate has influenced our civil rights movement? Well, I'd like to think that we had um, an effect in some small way on the election, which I think has had an effect on the president's views and policies on LGBT uh, people. Um, for, this, for the first time ever, we endorsed a candidate for president, which was Obama in, the real, in his re-election. And um, in that endorsement piece, we cataloged some of the great advances that, that the Obama presidency has, has, has made, rolling back years of, you know, of regressive Bush policies, um, embracing new policies for the State Department, <clears throat> for federal employees. Um, the, the Matthew Shepard James Bird uh, Hate Crimes Act was the first federal legislation of any kind that addressed LGBT rights. So yeah, and in, and in writing that, uh, we know that the administration took, took notice of that because they literally used that endorsement in their fundraising campaigns. Wow. Um, you know, the president has said in the past, I think it was to an HRC gathering, that he invites us to push him toward the goals that we have as a, as a, as a community. And uh, we've been doing that. Um, the fact that we've been around for such a long time, it, it makes us, has made us the LGBT brand of record in a lot of ways. Sure. That's a big responsibility. We try to use it wisely um, and carefully. And um, pushing politicians to responsible action for the LGBT community is one of those ways that we try to do that. Mm -hmm. So was that a big move then to decide to endorse a presidential candidate? It was a big move. Um, after the president's statement in May of last year that he believes that all couples should have the right to marry, regardless of, uh, of gender, um, we knew that there was a very clear choice. There was only one choice in terms of the president who would advance our equality agenda. And although other, you know, previous presidents, Bill Clinton, for example, have, have been, you know, have had mixed records on LGBT rights, but expressed pro-gay um, personal feelings, there has never been a president who has endorsed marriage equality. Um, there has never been a president who has been so pro 
um, equality on a number of counts. And it was, it was a pretty clear, uh, it was pretty easy for us to make the decision to endorse Obama. Sure. So tell us about your vision now as leading this, leading this magazine forward. What, what's your vision for the future of it? I would say our vision for the future of the publication is a lot like it's been in the past. You know, we, we bring uh, news of interest to LGBT people to them. We uh, challenge politicians uh, on their anti-gay, if, if they have them views, or their equivocation, even if they're um, professedly pro-LGBT. We like to bring analysis and opinion to our, to our readership and plan to do that in the future. We're going to have a lot of stuff to look at in the future. The Supreme Court's going to be taking up same-sex marriage. There are still issues with regard to the implementation of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell that we have to deal with. There are binational couples who don't have the same immigration rights as, uh, as straight couples who are, even in places where they're married, if, if one partner um, is a foreign national, even if that couple is legally married in the state where they live, it doesn't give them immigration rights. So we're seeing families still potentially, who could potentially be split up. Um, that's something that we'll be looking at um, definitely in the next, you know, as long as news mm-hmm. is being made on that front until we have equality there. Our agenda hasn't changed a whole lot. It's just that there's so many, you know, so many ways that we're looking at the expressions of our equality. That that's that's still that's still our mantra. Right, right. Well, you definitely have your work cut out for you. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, no shortage of news to report. There isn't, and in 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 and I really I think we have come a long way, but but you're absolutely right. There are still a lot of issues out there that need to be talked about and worked through. Uh, before we can declare ultimate victory and ultimate equality. One other, if I, if I might add. Please. Is that the LGBT movement and a lot of other movements are really looking, I think, at ways of building coalitions among different movements, different equality movements. I think that's something that we'll be seeing a lot of in the future. How... You know, how are, how are immigrant um, equality movements aligned with LGBT, you know, equality? How are different um, racial parity interest groups aligned with LGBT interest groups? Well, I think we'll be seeing a lot of coalition building in the, in, in the future, um, and that's something that we intend to be reporting on as well. LGBT super PACs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there need to be. There's a lesbian super PAC. There's a lesbian PAC, I should say. Um, there need to be... Um, there need to be more of those, you know, after Citizens United. If money's going to be such an enormous factor in our politics, then we need to make sure that we are part of that. Yeah, yeah. Raising that money. Very good. So give us the website where people can go to explore all of the news and, and, and information that's available. Pretty simple. Advocate.com. Fantastic. We've been talking with Matthew Breen, who is the editor-in-chief of The Advocate, one of our... Uh, esteemed sources for news here on Outbeat Radio. Matt, thanks so much for spending your night with us. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And we'll be back with more right after the music break. Well, I woke up to the sound of silence the cars were cutting like knives in a fist fight And I found you with a bottle of wine You had in the curtains And heart like the 4th of July You swore and said We are not We are not shining stars This I know I never said we are Though I've never been Through hell like that I've closed enough windows To know you can never look back If you're lost in a long Oh, you're sinking like a stone Carry on May your path be the sound Of your feet upon the ground Carry on Carry on, carry on So I met up with some friends At the edge of the night At a bar
was Grammy Award-winning and straight ally group Fun with Carry On. You're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB FM Windsor, Santa Rosa. Well, of course, Valentine's Day was celebrated earlier this month, and there's no doubt that many people today are finding the love of their lives, not in a gay bar, but online using one of a dozen sites that are now available. But one of the first gay dating sites that recently reinvented itself is Gay.com, And here to tell us more about online dating is Brett Edward Stout, who's the brand and marketing manager for Gay.com. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Greg. It is great to have you here and to be talking about one of my favorite online dating sites, Gay.com. So let's start at the beginning here. Uh, Gay.com was certainly one of the original uh, online dating sites specifically for primarily gay men, I would imagine, right? Well, you know, it is the original, you know, site, you know, early on, you know, when we're back in the time of like the AOL men from M chat rooms, it became evident that there was a need for a gay space on the web. And, you know, there was a degree of apprehension when people were in those AOL uh, M for M chat rooms, because they were like right alongside the straight chat rooms. And, you know, people were still a little timid about coming out. So gay.com was created as a response to that need for a space and you know the site went up with some venture capital funds in 1996 and by 1998 we were named best of the best by yahoo internet life magazine we received a webby for people's voice uh we got the glad media award uh computer world and smithsonian medal for outstanding innovation um you know we've we struck a chord right away because people realized that there was a need for that space Wow, 1996. I didn't even realize it had been around that long. Oh, yeah, we've been around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so when did you come on board uh, with Gay.com? You know, I came on board with Gay.com three years ago, and um, it's been great to be with the project as we did the redesign here. So tell us more about that redesign process. I mean, people are using online dating sites differently now than they were certainly back in 1996. What are people looking for today? Well, I mean, I can speak for Gay.com. You know, Gay.com's purpose, it's the creation of a lasting sense of community. You know, this is why we focus on longer format profiles, like what you'd see on a Match.com, but with, like, a focus on the specific needs of gay social dating. And so what I mean by that is, unlike the straight world where dating is more black and white, you um, meet a girl uh, specifically, you reach out to, a, a guy will reach out to a girl specifically for the purposes of dating. They're, they're not joining Match.com to try to, you know, get a bunch of girlfriends. The gay community is different. There's a greater fluidity between the bonds of friendship and finding a lasting life partner. So it's got unique needs, and Gay.com is uh, designed specifically around those needs. It's a multifunctional sense of space. It's an online community. It is the um, brick-and-mortar bar recreated in a digital way where you can go to your bar and sit in your booth with the other bears and you know, see across the room a booth of the muscle guys or a, a booth of the twinks, but still have that centered dance space. You, know, you, can, have, you can be there with your couple. You can be there you know, with your partner. You can be there to meet your partner, but you can be there just to spend time with your friends. So what's the age demographic look like? You know, we have a mix of all age groups. We don't, you know, have, I don't have a list of statistics there for you, but we have a breakdown across all age groups. So tell us about some of the challenges that you've faced running an online dating site, especially one that allows a variety of age groups to be involved. I would imagine you would get complaints about stalkers and pedophiles and other kinds of illegal or inappropriate activity. How do you handle that? You know, um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And, you know, with any online social network, you'll have security concerns about people who are there to misuse the site. You know, users at gay.com, you know, they are responsible, just like everyone else, for their own safety. But we do also have advanced technology to help us manage that. I particularly come from a marine security background, so I'm particularly interested in the security of the site, and it's something that I consider whenever I'm thinking about features that we're going to integrate into the site. Um, But users of the site 
are safe to use the site, you know, and you even have the option to browse anonymously if you like on the site. Great. So talk about the reinvention of Gay.com and how it's evolved since 1996. I mean, there are so many different dating sites out there. Adam for Adam, Manhunt, Grindr, iPhone apps. Talk about what Gay.com is doing differently today. It's a long way. It's a long history. But um, so, I mean, I'm kind of looking at Gay.com with a little bit of a fresh lens. Um, You know, Gay.com exists in a separate space, and the new design is aligned with that concept in mind. You know, conceptually, Gay.com exists in a space between what I refer to as white room sites like Facebook, which help you connect with people you already know, and what I call black room sites, which are for um, meeting up. But there's a middle space between that. There's a gray space, and the new design of Gay.com is one that facilitates the formation of friendships as well as the search for a life partner. So it's not about necessarily meeting people you already know, but creating a sense of your own community. Mm -hmm. It's all about creating lasting relationships. And that is the core of what Gay.com is functional. So tell us, how do you do that then differently than some of the other online sites? You know, there's longer profiles. We've we've created uh, communities around the types of ways that people kind of aggregate um, themselves and the way people kind of distinguish themselves. Um, It's not about a 200-word summary of yourself. You're allowed to express yourself in a tremendously longer format. Um, And, you know, the new site has um, quick views so you can get a quick look as as you're browsing through people. Um, We've expanded the profiles even further with those communities in mind. We created eight initial communities uh, on gay.com, like the leather community and the bear community and the muscle community, which allow you to create specific addition, uh, additional information segments of your profile that m- meet um, the requirements of that community and also brand you with a little tag. Okay. Um, and the whole design of the new site is constructed about what is going to work in mobile because the Internet of the 21st century is a mobile Internet. So what we've created with the new degree.com is a set of features and moving that sense of community and an online town square into a space that is going to work not just on um, desktop or displays, however you want to call them, but also specifically in uh, a mobile environment. Well, that's certainly a big improvement since the first version in 1996. In addition to profiles, tell us what else people will find on Gay.com. One of the things I'm most excited about in the new Gay.com is the lifestyle section that we have created. At Here Media, we have access to the best brands that exist within the gay sphere. We have Out Magazine. We have The Advocate. We have HIV+. We have Here TV, and we have Gay.net. And we've integrated the systems from them into the lifestyle page of the site. So in one aggregated place for the first time, you can get all of those stories all under one roof, and that is here on Gay.com. It is a lifestyle hub for the gay community. That's great. Sort of a one-stop shop for everything you need. Tell us about the age restrictions or any other requirements that you must meet before you can establish an account on Gay.com. You do have to be 18 years old or older to join the site um, because, it, you know, it is about creating adult relationships and, you know, that's based on different laws. But, you know, anybody can join, you know, if you're a muscle guy from New York, if you're a bear from Chicago, um, you know, if you're a twink from San Francisco or a daddy from Dallas, you know, gay.com, it's a universal site. We're here for everybody. Very good. So for someone who has never tried online dating before, for example, I have a friend who's 56 years old. He just came out. He's struggling with trying to get into the dating world and and trying to meet people. If he wanted to try an online site like gay.com, talk about how to get started. Well, first I would tell your friend congratulations on, you know, starting a new chapter of his life. Um, Second, you know, it's as easy as going to www.gay.com and it'll guide you straight through the process of 
picking out your profile, decide what you're comfortable talking about, what you're not comfortable talking about. Fill out this, uh, fill out your profile, and um, the site kind of works from there. Just you know, get out there and don't be shy. And is there a cost involved in having a profile? We operate on a model that's called the freemium model. So we have the general access to the site, which is free, but there are extra benefits you can get. Um, you know, anonymous browsing, being able to see adult photos, which we hide from people who haven't verified that they have a credit card number, which we kind of use to protect um, from people who are uh, under the age of 18. Um, there are additional benefits like that that you can have at a paid additional cost, and there will be more of those features coming in the future as well. Sounds exciting. Well, I know one of the things that I really liked about Gay.com when I was first entering the, the whole dating scene thing was I really got a chance to get to know someone before I agreed to even meet them. And so I didn't feel like I was wasting a lot of time. And the conversation we had was really about each other. And it was free from the distractions that often occur in a bar, the noise, the alcohol, and everything else. But you mentioned earlier the site's also designed for people to get to know each other and meet new friends maybe someone who you may not necessarily date that you just want to go out and do something fun with. Talk more about that. You know, when I first came to New York in 2004, um, I was uh, fairly new to um, a city of this size. I mean, no, I'd, I'd spend my time in, in San Francisco and I'd been to Los Angeles and I'd been in Honolulu a lot because I'd been living in Hawaii and the Marines. The city was intimidating and um the world can be intimidated sometimes, so where I turned to was a safer place that I felt I could manage and handle better because it was at my control and at my fingertips. And I got on Gay.com and talked to a few people, and um, I started talking to a guy, and he said, well, it's my first week in Manhattan, too. And I said, well, I don't even know, do you want to meet somewhere and let's explore the city together? And he says, well, the only place I know is Bryant Park. So we met on the corner of Bryant Park and um, I talk to him every week. We've been friends ever since. What a great story. And such a long way from the 1920s and 30s in New York when people used to venture into the theater district and, and wear a particular colored scarf or a tie and then hope that the person they were talking to or approaching who might be gay wasn't a cop because certainly you, you could be arrested in, in that particular time. But talk to us about some of the dangers or some of the safety precautions anyone should take when dating or meeting someone online. Being on the site in general, I mean, you you want to reserve a little bit of caution around any group of strangers. I mean, you don't want to put your phone number or your home address or your social security number or your driver's license number, that type of information, um, on your forehead. So you don't necessarily, you know, that's not stuff that you would want to put on your profile. Um, you want to create kind of a face, an image of yourself. Um, Talk about the things that are important to you. Describe those elements of yourself that describe yourself. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a gym guy, you know, that kind of instilled in me from the Marines and competitive swimming. So, you know, physical fitness is something that I spend a lot of time doing. So I have that in my profile because it's a core part of who I am. But I'm also really into movies. And so I, um, now that we have status updates in our profiles, I'm updating my status all the time about, you know, you know, I'm an Oscar buff, so I've now seen almost every film that's nominated for an Oscar this year. I'm at 95% of the nominees. But that's the type of thing that people are going to see when they come to my page. They're going to see all the muscle icon, of course, up at, at the top of my profile, but then they're going to see my status talking about something that shows that I'm a little bit more. And that's how you should go about thinking about your profile. You should think about, who am I? And if you're not sure, it's okay to not be sure. You can address that explicitly. Say, I'm still trying to figure this and that out. Well, this all really sounds like Gay.com is evolving more into a gay Facebook type of a, an application and far beyond simply a hookup site. Is that a fair assessment? I would say that that is, that that is a fair assessment, um, especially with the way that the site is uh, designed and the, the way that the site that I see it 
being used um, and the things that I personally, you know, experience. I, you know, there have been comparisons to sites like Facebook and, um, you know, other sites, but I really wanted to, you know, in the redesign of Gay.com, I really wanted to create something that was more than a, um, you know, uh, a gay face or a grind book. I wanted to create something that was this kind of center point between those two types of environments that was uniquely its own and worthy of the most exclusive gay URL on the web, gay.com. Well, you're certainly right about that. And it sounds like you've done a great job creating an online community center that very much fits the site's address. We've been talking with Brett Edward Stout, who's the brand and marketing manager for gay.com. Brett, thanks so much for spending your Sunday night with us. Greg, it was wonderful. Thank you so much for a great chat. And finally tonight, here's this month's Outbeat Youth segment. For this month's Outbeat Youth segment, we'd like you to meet Jacob Rudolph. He's a high school senior who just this month came out to his entire school during an award ceremony. Here is his acceptance speech. So I would uh, like to thank everyone for being class actor. Sure, I've been in a few plays and musicals. Uh, but more importantly, I've been acting every single day of my life. You see, I've been acting as someone I'm not. When most of you see me every day. You see me acting the part of straight Jacob. When I'm in fact an LGBT team. Let's make it quite sexual transgender. Unlike the millions of other LGBT teens who have had to act every day to avoid verbal harassment, physical violence, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's time to end the hate in our society and accept the people for who they are, regardless of their sex, race, orientation, or whatever else may be holding back love and friendship. Take me, leave me, move me out of the way. Because I am what I am, and that's how I'm going to act Jacob told reporters that he came out in order to inspire other still-closeted LGBT high school students to do the same. Jacob's father posted that video on Facebook, and in just a week it has gone viral. And I'm joined now on the telephone by Jacob Rudolph. Uh, Jacob, good morning to you. Amazing to see you there. Uh, so strong, um, just saying it like it is. Why did you choose that moment to come out, and what did you think of the response you got? Um, well, I chose that moment because I... I realized soon after that I wanted to do the speech that if I performed it, it wouldn't just be my coming out, it would be me coming out for a lot of the kids who didn't know how to come out or didn't have the courage to, to do so. So I think when I when it hit me that it was for the LGBT community so much more than it was for myself, I, I knew I had to do it. And what did you make of the response? It sounds like uh, people were cheering for you. Yeah, I mean, the standing ovation that I received from about 80% of the auditorium was, it was overwhelming. It was not what I expected at all. I, I, I couldn't be happier with the response I received. And when you say it was for others, not just for yourself, I mean, what, what do you really hope for them? I hope that I have been able to impact enough individuals in the sense that they understand that they are who they are and nothing is going to change that, not society, not their families, not any sort of pressures, but I, I have impacted so many people and I'm so thankful. In your speech, you mentioned harassment, you also mentioned violence. Uh, were you ever bullied? And if so, I'm just curious how that affected you. We talked to so many kids who have been bullied and, and it's very traumatic for many of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I can only hope to have that end soon. So you have been bullied? Well, I, not necessarily um, by my peers, but I, I've seen other individuals uh, receive harassment and in high school. What's it like for you to watch that and, and see that, especially because of their sexual orientation? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's, it's terrifying in the uh, societal sense that we haven't been able to reach a point of understanding and compassion yet. Um, in your speech, I'm curious, to, I wanted to ask you, because you didn't use the word gay. I mean, when you, when you said what you said, you said LGBT, and then you even added an extra T. Um, can you explain that? Well, I, I didn't add the extra T. I said LGBT teen. 
but uh, I intentionally use LGBT because it's much more a broad spectrum of sexual orientation, and I think using either gay or straight or even bisexual at this point, it's more of a, an antiquated word considering how many people are still questioning their identity, and I think that it is uh, susceptible to change over time. And have you heard from other students and other teens who might be struggling and, and might be wanting to come out but might be afraid to? What, what have they said to you? Um, I have received so many Facebook messages from people I've never even met before saying that after seeing my video they've been able to come out to their friends and their families and I've even had a couple of my friends uh, come out of the closet to me as well. What do you think is the answer? You know, we, we talk so much about bullying and trying to put an end to it and certainly uh, bullying of gay and lesbian students. What is the answer, Jacob? Um, well, I feel like the answer is in two parts. I feel like it starts uh, in the home with parents uh, of LGBT individuals giving unconditional love and support to their kids just as my parents have to me. And I think that it also starts in the educative system that we start learning about LGBTs and start learning that a lot of the myths and biases that we hear throughout our, uh, our days in school, they are just myths and they are biases. So I think that the more we become uh, enlightened and educated on the subject, uh, I think that's going to help immensely as well. Do you think you might make this a cause uh, as you grow up, uh, as you age in life, or, or do you have other plans? Um, I don't intend to make it my life's mission, but I I'm definitely going to be active in the LGBT community as much as I can. What do you make of your dad posting it on Facebook, your, your video? Because um, I think a lot of kids certainly are afraid to talk with their parents. Had you ever mentioned this to your parents before, or was this the first time they had heard it as well? And what do you think of the idea that your dad is the one who posted it? Um, well, I had told both of my parents about a year prior to the speech, so it didn't come as a shock to them. and. I, I was all for my dad posting it on YouTube. I wanted everybody to see it. Well, they certainly have. Uh, Jacob Rudolph, appreciate it, and uh, certainly appreciate what you've done. Thank well, you. Thank you so for having me. Thank you. Jacob was also a guest on Anderson Cooper's show and got a chance to meet his hero, George Takei. George Takei, I mean... From, it, from Star Trek. From Star Trek, right. Yeah. Uh, Having grown up in the 50s as a Japanese gay man, I just, and then coming out as such a wonderful success and being such an advocate and such just an incredible person, I, he's, he's really, I think, my top Have you admirer. ever met him? I haven't met him. Uh. I, I heard that he put your story actually on his blog. Yeah, I, uh, I sent him the video and I wrote him a little bit of a letter and he apparently liked it enough to share it with all of his millions of followers and yeah. that, was, that was fantastic. Well, he liked it actually more he than really that. He actually wanted to, to be here today to meet you. Really? So let's, uh, let's meet him. George, you here? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my god. Oh. Ooh. It's so terrific to be So much. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. How are you? This is such a great surprise. Isn't it terrific? Oh my god. That was awesome. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So George, when you when you heard about this, what did you think? I was bursting. I thought it was such a, a fantastic statement. And you know, you are pulling at that wagon of equality with the rest of us. So thank you very much for that. Oh. I'm very proud of you. A courageous young man, indeed. Well, that brings us to the end of another hour. My thanks to our guests tonight, Matthew Breen, Editor-in-Chief of The Advocate Magazine, and Brett Edward Stout, Brand and Marketing Manager for Gay.com. I'll be back next month on the fourth Sunday of March with more Outbeat News in depth. Remember, our shows are always available for listening on demand through our website at OutbeatNews.com or on iTunes. And follow us all week long on Facebook and Twitter for the latest LGBT news and information from here in the North Bay and beyond. Tune in next Sunday night for Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us.